Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. I have SMA Type 2, and I am a columnist and forums director for smanewstoday.com. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. And joining us today, we have two very special guests from the SMA community. First, we have Stephen Makita. And Stephen is um, one of the older people in the SMA community. And I mean, that is a compliment. um, You've done, he's done a lot of advocacy uh, in his career, having served um, as the uh, Utah Assistant Attorney General for more than 30 years, uh, representing the three largest state agencies providing services and protections for individuals with disabilities. And then we also have Arya Singh. She is a senior at Yale University and has dedicated much of her childhood to clinical research. Uh, and her parents are the catalyst behind the creation of the SMA Foundation. So we have a lot to talk about in this episode. And Stephen, Arya, I want to thank you both for coming on today. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, before we get started, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast was brought to you by Genentech, the makers of an FDA-approved treatment for SMA. To learn about our study results across different types of people with SMA, visit approvedforsma.com. That's approvedforsma.com. Okay, so Aria, let's start with you. Um, So I mentioned in the intro that your parents founded the SMA Foundation. So can you talk a little bit about this organization and how it relates to your story? Yeah, of course. Um, So the SMA Foundation is essentially a merger of pharma, um, patients, advocates, and um, healthcare providers um, to accelerate treatments for spinal muscular atrophy. Um, And it really has seen a tremendous amount of growth in those treatments in the last 20 years, especially the last, I'd say, five to 10 Um, And the way it impacted my life was I kind of grew up very intimately aware of drug development and all of the effort and care um, and stakeholders and partnerships that go into that. Um, Most directly, I was involved in all, not all, but a lot of the clinical research being done on the drugs that now exist. Um, And so I think the way it impacted me really was just a tremendous amount of appreciation um, and understanding for just how much time and effort goes into um, making a drug for SMA patients and patients beyond SMA2 possible. That's great. And, um, and yeah, it'd be really interesting talking more about this and how the landscape of clinical trials has evolved. Um, but thank you so much, Aria. And then Stephen, so, um, I, you know, you've done a lot in your career and I'm thinking about, you know, what your childhood must have been like growing up in a time when medical and disability resources were more limited than they are today. So I'm curious, what, can you talk a little bit about your approach to living with SMA and just um, how your childhood kind of shaped you into who you are today? Well, uh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be with you and with Aria, who I haven't seen since she was 10 years old. And so it's a thrill for me to be uh, with her again. So I think that the approach was that I needed to basically concentrate on my strengths, which was my intellect, and that I wasn't going to really pity 
myself or dwell on the fact that I couldn't be physically active like other children in my family or in the classroom. So I focused on those things which I could do. And I didn't really feel sorry for myself for what I could not do. I think the turning point came in my life when I was four years old. And my father showed me photographs of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and uh, encouraged me to do those things that would help people, serve people um, in the public sector and to focus on my strengths and not on my uh, uncooperative uh, muscles. So I had a very, very supportive family like Arias and my father was an orthopedic surgeon. And so I was given a lot of opportunities. I had great medical care and I was one of the first people uh, in a wheelchair in 1968 to receive a um, spinal fusion, which extended my life. And then I, uh, at the age of 13, got my first experience with pneumonia. And that was extremely scary. And I didn't anticipate that. But I have lived a very, very charmed life. I was given a lot of opportunities through my education and went on to a prep school and then uh, did my undergraduate work at Duke. I was the first wheelchair student ever to be accepted to Duke um, when it was not a very accessible place uh, to go to college. And, but we made things work and I was very, um, I was very encouraged by a lot of students embracing me and helping to care for me. We used to set up a schedule of 50 students per semester, if you can believe, to help me do everything from getting up to the morning to going to bed at night, staying, staying the night, and also walking me from class to class. So it was a wonderful um, network of support. And I just am very grateful for the foundation and these breakthroughs with these drugs. I never, ever, ever considered that there would ever be a drug or drugs for spinal muscular atrophy during my lifetime. And I'm grateful that I've lived long enough to witness that dream. It really is a time just to be alive just in the past few years. And um, with all the work people like you have done, it is really amazing to see the progress being made. And, um, and Arya, thinking about that, like when you were growing up, did you feel a push toward advocacy or was that something that kind of evolved later on? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, no, I don't think I failed to push toward advocacy. I think my parents really wanted the drugs to enable me to have a life beyond disease and um, let me have a limitless life. And however, I decided that that would be. Um, and so I think it was interesting in that they, I think that 
their reason for developing drugs specifically for me were almost to not have to be an advocate. Um, and I think that instead the expectation was kind of that I would take the opportunities that were given to me both related beyond SMA. And I think most obviously probably through my education, but then also through SMA drugs that were becoming available. And I think that in some way that kind of makes you an advocate in itself, right? It's a different form of advocacy, but I think that growing up in clinical research and being part of that drug development process um, is what really instilled that sense of advocacy within me. Um, but I don't think that it was from my parents um, or kind of the foundation externally. I think it kind of came internally and as a natural result of um, the studies that I was involved in. Sure, sure. And speaking of those two, so yeah, you were involved in clinical research from a young age. And I read in your bio that you wrote a children's book um, kind of based on these experiences. So can you talk more about that and what that experience was like? Yeah, I think um, growing up in clinical research, I think you kind of learn from a really young age and are forced to learn and balance really complicated emotions. Um, I often tell the story of on one of my first um, dosings for Spinraza, which was the first SMA drug that the FDA approved um, I was getting, I, the way that it was delivered was through a spinal tap and I was in the operating room and it just woken up. And I told my mom, I didn't want to be there because it was my 10th birthday. And she turned to me and she said, this is the best birthday gift you're ever going to get in your life. And she was very empathetic and understanding and did it with a hug. But I think kind of having to reconcile those feelings of immense gratitude and appreciation and understanding for just how lucky you are with still being a kid and being confused and overwhelmed and in pain are really difficult to navigate. Um, and I think that I wished that there was some form of literacy on that and way for me to understand what was going on to me um, and just a resource for me to help me better understand that A, I wasn't alone, B, there were things kind of protecting me and C, um, these super high level concepts of informed consent um, and the principles of kind of what keeps children and adults safe in clinical research was really important. Um, and seemed so abstract at the time. But as I studied it formally at school, um, and as I got older, I realized it didn't really need to be that abstract. And so I think that um, giving children, especially that resource to kind of understand what's happening and hopefully provide a comfort, a method of comfort and empowerment was really important to me. Um, and so it kind of resulted in that children's book called Courageous Cal in the Clinical Trial, which is essentially a book that distills um, the guiding principles um, of clinical research mandated by the Belmont report um, into analogies and kind of like silly ones so that kids can understand them. Um, so just so that they understand that um, there are these, these, these principles in, in place to keep them safe. That's really cool. Cause I, I mean, I think about, and it's something I've written about, but like I, I started Spinoza as an adult and I had tons of anxieties going in and I can imagine for a kid going through that process in clinical trials, it's, in many ways, even more overwhelming. So it's cool to have that as a resource to assure them that it will be okay. And other people have done this. That, that's really awesome. And Stephen, um, I mentioned in the, in the intro, so you worked as an attorney general for a long time and done many things in your career. Can you talk about uh, like when you were in college and what your career goals were at the time and how they evolved from that point? Uh, thank you for that question. So um, I'm now happily retired after serving 39 years uh, as an assistant attorney general, but I'm very uh, busy as a patient advocate on about 10 national councils and boards dealing with a rare disease inclusion of 
minorities and underserved populations in clinical trials and in working on tearing down some of the structural systemic uh, barriers to people of color so that they can kind of take advantage and be treated with respect and equity as I was. So in thinking about my life, when I grew up, you basically were either a doctor or an attorney. So I knew that I couldn't uh, do the physical things of a physician. So I kind of always had in the back of my mind that I'd probably have to pursue a legal career. When I got to Duke, I toyed with the idea of either becoming a theologian because I was a double major in political science and religion, but I knew that I would have to spend time in the Middle East and also in Germany to do that. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to sell that concept to my dad, say, hey, dad, can you basically bankroll me for the next 10 years while I study in Europe and I need all these people to take care of me? And my dad would probably say, he's a very pragmatic orthopedic surgeon. And I knew that was going to be a definitive no. So then I thought about maybe I would like to be a political science professor. But then I thought, well, to start out being a political science professor back then, I would have to go and start teaching at probably a smaller college or university. And again, that would require a lot of navigation through a small community. I wouldn't be able to probably tap the resources for those individuals to take care of me. Also, I was not attracted to the fact that I would maybe have to teach the same subject year after year. And I kind of am a political animal reflecting back to the FDR magazine when I was four. So my love has always been for politics. As a result, I kind of settled on a legal career, legal education, so that because I had skills in, in writing, expressing myself, verbal skills. So I thought that that was more tailored to my skill set than anything else that was at that at that point. And I had to, and when you're when you live a long time with a disability, you constantly have to improvise. We're very, very adept at being able to make adjustments, especially when we have a progressive muscle disease. We always have to tweak our routines and, and some of our choices that we make along the way. So I think that that all kind of helped target me into a legal career because I knew if I had a progressive disease, which I did, I would be getting weaker and weaker as the years went by. And as a result, I could still do the things, the basic 
essential functions of lawyering, notwithstanding my uncooperative body. That's a fascinating journey. And I, you know, I love how it, 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 it like you said, I think in the SMA community and disability communities, we have that intuitive sense to think pragmatically and also be really adaptable um, to, and, you know, and make it work for whatever we want to do. So that, that's really awesome. And Arya, we'll talk about your career in just a sec, but before we do, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by a sponsorship from Genentech. Are you living with SMA or are you a caregiver for someone who is? A treatment has been FDA approved based on studies of different types of people living with SMA. Genentech extends a special thanks to all the individuals, families, and healthcare providers who participated in the studies that led to making this treatment option a reality. To learn more about this treatment, visit approvedforsma.com. Okay, so Arya, so you're a student at Yale. Can you talk about um, what you're majoring in and what kind of plans you have? Yeah. Of course. Um, so I'm a current senior at Yale. Last four years have flown by. Um, and I'm studying essentially public health, but it's called the history of science, medicine, and public health. Um, and I'm combining that with a minor in education. And I'm also staying a year next year to get my master's in public health as sort of a dual degree. Um, so that's what I've been doing at Yale. Um, and in particular, I'm really interested in rare disease drug development, which may not come as a huge surprise. And so after college, um, I hope to work either in the pharma industry or um, on legislation, um, supporting clinical research specifically for pediatrics. Um, and so I've had the chance to work in pharma and in healthcare consulting, and I'll be doing that in DC this summer, which I'm really excited about, um, but yeah. That's awesome. And, and I forgot to ask is, so where are you from originally? And are you like um, living on campus and getting caregivers or what mm -hmm. has that process been like? Yeah, I'm from New York City. So not too far. It's about an hour and a half drive from New Haven. Um, and I'm living on campus. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I've, I've found um, most of my caregivers through the nursing school at Yale. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, just correct, because it's something I ask a lot for guests, like when you transition to college, had you had caregivers before that, or was this more of a new experience, um, like kind of living independently and moving away from your parents? Yeah, I had had caregivers before growing up um, in New York City, so that part wasn't a super big transition, but I think kind of just like every other college student moving away from home and um, having that distance from family was still certainly an adjustment, but um, I think in many ways that was very similar to any other college student. Sure, sure. Well, that's great. And yeah, best of wishes on, I'm sure you'll do really well in uh, the rare disease um, spec sector and, and pharma and everything. That's Thank great. And Stephen, you mentioned this earlier, just about, you know, the gratitude you feel for how the landscape of SMA treatments and clinical trials has evolved over the years. So if both of you can just talk about that, just in terms of, um, you know, what it's been like since the time, especially since your diagnosis and growing up to what it is now, um, what you think about the current state and how it's continued to evolve. So either of you can go, Stephen, if you want to start. Well, I, again, I am just absolutely amazed and grateful for the commitment in pharma to develop 
precision drugs for our disease. And that I never considered that as a, as a possibility growing up until the last 15 years, mm-hmm. as Arya has previously mentioned. And to put a finer point on that, I had um, reached out to Arya's mother on um, around Halloween this year on another project that I was working on. And Arya's mother said, hey, um, have you started taking Evrizi yet? And I said, not really. I said, I had my internal medicine physician look at the profile. He wasn't completely persuaded that that might be a good choice for me. But now that I'm retired, I'm going to take another look at it. So on Halloween, as part of my trick-or-treating, I contacted my physician and said, I want to be on Everest. So on December 17th, three days after my 66th birthday, I started Everest. And I can tell you, it has had miraculous impacts. And the impact and the benefits were almost instantaneous. I have more stamina. My tongue fell back into the bottom of my mouth. I'm able to articulate words that I haven't been for years. I'm not choking on every drink uh, that I've that I drink. I, I'm I'm taking bigger breaths. I can swallow more easily. My jaw pain from my TMJ uh, disappeared. I no longer have any pain in my shoulders or in my back. I can actually control my head more. I sit more upright in my chair. And I just have a lot more uh, energy. And, and my thumbs are stronger. I can grip my joystick with more power. It doesn't slip off as easily. It, my hand is not required to have such a precise positioning as it used to uh, over the last 10 years. So again, it's having a new lease on life. I really am serious when I, when I say that my stamina and energy and strength are back to where they were 15 years ago. That's fantastic. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that too, like I'm on Spinraza, but it was a similar thing to with my voice, like that was something friends and family noticed uh, for particularly after the first couple of months I was on it was how much that improved. Um, and I wasn't like constantly catching my breath and everything. So that, that's yes. great. That's awesome. And then Aria, what about, so same question. And also like, um, if you're on any treatments now and what that experience has been like. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that for the first kind of half of my life, 
it was one of helplessness and hopeless for SMA patients and their parents and their families. I think um, drug development really started maybe 20 years ago for SMA, but I think really up until, like I said earlier, in the last five to 10 years, prognosis was not super bright. And I think um, the best that anyone was hoping for treatment was stability. Um, and that is what the first clinical trial that I was in for Spinraza did for me. Um, it kept me stable, which was really, really important. And I think kind of met that expectation and hope at the time, but that was a hard study for me to be in, in terms of the delivery of it and it requiring the OR, um, and the way it's delivered, which I'm, I, it sounds like you're familiar with. Um, and so I started the ERISD clinical trial in 2017. And that for me has been, um, pretty life-changing. I think it came fortuitously at a good time as I started college, being able to take something orally every morning instead of going into the operating room every few months was huge um, and just caused less of disruption to my daily life. And I think for me really did allow me to kind of live that life beyond SMA um, more easily. And I think kind of echoing what Steven said in similar ways, maybe not as instantaneously for me, but I've really noticed kind of improvements and I'm not getting as sick anymore from a cold that turns into pneumonia because my cough is stronger, or I can kind of make it through the day until one in the morning, like college students do without being incredibly exhausted, um, or I can pick up a heavier textbook than I used to be able to do, um, or pick up a glass of water. So I think maybe, you know, those, those small ways of how it's impacted everyday life has been um, pretty meaningful and aggregating to a better quality of life overall. And so, yeah, I think that it's been really fascinating for the, and really special and humbling for the SMA community at large, but also for myself personally, to be able to see kind of this transition from hopelessness to tremendous, tremendous amounts of hope um, in the last few years, you know, three of the three treatments that now exist all came out in a span of five years, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I'm hopeful that that will continue, but also the progress that we've made is I think remarkable and has exceeded expectations. And so, um, yeah, I think it's an exciting time for the SMA community for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, echoing exactly what you both said, I mean, we all have SMA and, uh, I too did not expect to see these kind of advancements in life, my lifetime. So it is really remarkable, but, um, and then Steven, can you, so you're retired now, can you talk about kind of your daily life and what it looks like. Um, nice house, by the way. I see it in your background. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, so my daily life really hasn't changed remarkably from my professional life. So uh, it begins at 7 a.m. and I have two staff members that come in, get me up, it's about 90 minutes to get me up, 90 minutes to two hours. And then I have, so I have a staff of about 15 or 16 uh, college age students. And, um, you know, I, I basically have, I live alone, but I'm never really independent of staff, but for maybe an hour or an hour and a half per day. So there's always staff around me, but I'm the one who's, directing them and making the decisions as to when they're going to be scheduled. My day basically begins at 10 a.m. when I begin emails and Zoom calls with either a couple of clients in um, precision medicine or uh, initiatives or uh, jumping on Zoom calls for 
a number of these councils and other committees that I serve on. I, I develop a lot of deliverables. I chair three of those uh, uh, consortia. And so I'm very busy with phone calls and with emails and with slide, uh, slide decks. And then I just drink an energy drink, uh, energy shakes throughout the day. It's called Kate Farms, that's pure uh, plant-based. And it gives me the necessary energy that I have. And then I do a little bit of reading uh, each night from 4.30 to 5.30. My next, uh, my dinner crew then comes in at 5.45 and I might do a couple more emails and I start watching either a basketball game, football game, or HBO or Netflix, whatever's live streaming. I'm really into pop culture. I'm, I'm an old man, but I watch everything that any college student uh, watches uh, with the exception of the Kardashians. <laughs> I have to ask, since you said HBO, have you seen The White Lotus? It's a, the show oh um, created by Mike White. I love The White Lotus. So a friend got me hooked on it and then I've been recommending it to people constantly since then. Oh my like, gosh. So, but yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really in favor of comedies, but it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I absolutely love it. It's so top notch. Like it's funny. It's thrilling, dramatic, quirky, so I many things. It. So I, I yeah. I, oh yes. As you can see from my background, I can talk about pop culture all day, but, uh, but yes, I had to throw that in there. But well, thank you, Stephen, so much. And then, and Aria, what about you? So I know I was here in school, um, and you can talk about too, like if you're in any extracurricular clubs or anything like that. Yeah, you want me to answer the same question of just how my daily life yes. changed with it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. yeah. So I think kind of measuring that's a little bit trickier for me, just because I started it already at a transition period. So my daily life, kind of in high school while I was still living at home, obviously looks very, very different than what it does now. Um, but do you want, I can talk to you about my daily life now, if that. Yeah, helps. that would be great. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that, I think what's been interesting to me is that what I've learned is that living in college, especially on campus kind of creates a lot more inconsistency um, and perhaps chaos than what I was used to, you know, in high school, my parents had a really set routine of kind of how things would work and it worked really well, but that's what I was used to. I would uh, wake up. I, someone would help me get ready. I would eat breakfast that my mom would make. I would go to school. I would come home. I would do an hour or two of physical therapy. I would sit in my room and do homework. I would eat dinner with my family. I would do more homework. And then someone would help me get ready for bed. Um, and that's what I was used to for my whole life. Um, and then I got to college and that very quickly changed. And I think you're asking me at a even more transitional period of my life, you know, it being senior year. But a typical day of my life now looks like well, I can give you two and I'll give them to you quickly, but, yeah. um, and I think that I will, I would also add, and I can say it again at the end, but I think that like in a lot of ways, the SMA treatments have made kind of this college life possible in a way that wouldn't have happened. Right. If I wasn't on treatment and specifically this one, that is so easy to take. Um, but I wake up, um, one of the young nursing students who I mentioned before helps me get ready. Um, and then I'm usually off to class or meet friends to study. Um, and then I'll usually come back and like use the bathroom if I need to and get lunch with a friend. 
Um, and then it'll usually be more studying our work um, or ITA at class called healthcare economics and public policy. Um, and so that meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So sometimes I'll be doing that. Um, and then it'll usually be dinner time with a friend and then studying um, usually with people. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm also on the New Haven Commission for Disabilities and that meets about once a month. So um, it used to be at the New Haven, um, the New Haven Public Office, but that with COVID, it's been more on Zoom. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of a very typical weekday of college life. Honestly, probably not super exciting. It mainly involves work uh -huh, and eating in the dining hall, but I think probably a pretty typical day. Um, and so, yeah, and I think that if I'm not doing that, um, my boyfriend goes to Princeton. And so I spend a lot of time there. And I think that that's a whole different, a whole different daily life in that, you know, for me, I had kind of a, from, from other SMA patients, I've talked to a pretty reversed experience in that growing up, um, my parents decided, and I fully support them in this decision that they didn't do most of my care. They were super busy at the foundation and they were kind of supporting me in other ways. And so I had professional care my whole life. And so, um, as I got older, kind of getting used to someone interpersonally, um, doing your care and having that be who you depended on 24 seven for potentially days, if not weeks at a time and having one person do all of that was really, um, it was a really new experience for me that definitely took time to adjust. And I think kind of ping-ponging between both of those, um, even in a week span has been something that I've had to adjust to and that, you know, I really have come to appreciate, but um, yeah. So I think kind of two different worlds, but that's, that's a little taste of my daily life and something I thought I'd throw in there. No, well, it's really interesting you say that too, because like most of the people in the community, myself included, like our parents were primary caregivers growing up and yeah, I didn't start getting caregivers till college. And so it's really interesting that you had that um, for most of your growing up while your parents were running the foundation. So I think that does add, like a really interesting layer there in preparation. You were already, because I, I just remember the first time I, you know, started interviewing people. It's very overwhelming at first and you're trying to find the right ones. And I mean, mm -hmm. I got really lucky. I found um, my, uh, I had the same one for seven years. So I was uh, really lucky there, but like, um, but it's, you know, it, it's cool when you already have that, uh, an idea of what that process is like, um, as a kid, I think that prepares you really well. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then for both of you wrapping up, well, first of all, I want to thank you both for coming on today. And this has been a fascinating discussion and I love your stories, but, um, do you, you have any advice or just a message for others in the SMA community you want to share? Uh, Steven, we can start with you. Well, I, I think that um, that my advice would be to to first of all believe in yourselves and to understand that you have a lot of skills and talents that are there that you were born with that can propel you to do great things that will bring you satisfaction and gratification. It is not easy for one day to live with a progressive uh, neuromuscular disease as the three of us can attest. But what it does give you is a perspective about barriers and it gives you an awareness 
of what each and every individual has to overcome in their respective lives. And that none of us is immune from adversity and trials and challenges. So the great invitation for us is to realize that life is going to be difficult, but it is going to be full of meaning because, because of our dependent dependence on others to take care of our activities of daily living, we, be, we kind of hone the skills that we need to navigate through life and relationships. Because relationships are always um, going to be central in all of our lives. And through those relationships, we begin to understand some of the needs and concerns that other people have who are quote unquote able-bodied. And we see that some of their challenges are every bit as formidable as our challenges. And so I've always tried to focus on what is it that I can do at least for one person each day to help them get through some of their challenges and issues and concerns to lift their burdens, just like others help me with, you know, quite rudimentary things that most able people, able-bodied people take for granted. So my advice is love yourself, believe in yourself, and make a difference knowing that you have been given opportunities to make an impact on other people's lives. And by serving others, you don't, uh, you're not as, you're not as, um, you're not inclined to then get too discouraged or um, depressed. You know, life each day poses its uh, challenges. At the same time, I don't know um, of a day that goes by that I don't have great joy and that someone lifts my spirits or I have the uh, opposite effect that I know that I've made another person laugh or I've raised uh, their spirits by complimenting them. That's great. Thank you so much, Stephen. And I, yeah, uh, and otherwise, it's just you know, um, loving yourself. I think especially is is, is really pertinent uh, for anyone. And Aria, what about you? Any advice you want to share, whether it's for anyone <laughs> like college students in the community or just anyone out there with us and may listening? Yeah. Well, Stephen said that very beautifully, and I echo all of it. So I I think I'll keep mine super short. Um, but I think I would just say that like finding, whether you're at college or beyond, I think that finding your version of normal and one that makes you really happy and feel fulfilled is super possible. And I really genuinely believe does happen, but I think it happens at different times for everyone. And more generally, it just takes time. And I think having kind of that patience 
and trust is really important um, in a life with SMA. And I think honestly, in any type of life, and I think that maybe that is the message, right? That a lot of the challenges and dreams and aspirations that people with SMA have, while they're different in some very important ways, I think that they are incredibly similar in some perhaps even more important ways. And so I think kind of remembering that um, is, is something worthwhile. Absolutely. That's great advice. And well, again, Stephen, Aria, I want to thank you both so much for coming on today. This has been a great conversation. And, um, and also before we go, uh, if either of you are on either social media or have any websites or anything you want to plug, uh, if you want to, feel free. I have a word. I'm on, I'm on Instagram, but no one, no one knows that. And so I, I'd, I'd be happy to uh, hear from 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 folks, but I really, really appreciate Kevin. Your platform makes a difference to individuals, not only with SMA, but also equally important, their caregivers and their parents. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. And Aria, do you have any, uh, I know you mentioned the book where we can put a link to that, but um, it's a, is it, it's on Amazon and stuff? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's on Amazon. Um, awesome. and, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners out there to hear more stories and conversations like this, you can subscribe to the SMA News Today podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on our website at smanewstoday.com connect with us on our forums, and follow us for all the latest SMA news and perspectives. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.